Welcome back to Money Minutes for Doctors. I am your host, Christina McAteer, and have the lovely Miss Catherine Vestness here once again with us to teach us about 529 funds. How are you today, Catherine? Another great day. Thanks so much for having me. You're very sweet to give us your time and expertise, and we always appreciate your wonderful insights. So today's topic is 529 funds. We hear a lot about them, both good and bad. Um, They're in the news and, of course, on every parent's mind as the cost of college tuition seems to go nowhere but up at a very astronomical pace. So give us your thoughts on these kinds of funds. Well, first of all, let's talk about what is a 529 plan, in case some of our listeners don't know. So a 529 plan is a special plan. Each state has one that allows parents, grandparents, or anybody else actually, to contribute after-tax money to these funds, and then the funds can be pulled out tax-free for college costs in the future. So that's kind of the basic piece about this. Uh, The reason they're very attractive, particularly to a lot of physicians, is what happens is you're basically avoiding the capital gains tax on the earnings. So what I mean by that, Christy, is that if you decide you wanted to save money for those darling kids for college, and and you have two major choices, I'll get to a third one briefly here. One would be to put money in a 529 plan. The other would be to use a brokerage account. And in some cases, you could actually use the same underlying mutual funds as investments. For using the brokerage account, the money goes in after tax. In the future, Let's say you've invested 10000 By the time the kids are ready for college, it's fifty. You liquidate the account. You've got a $40,000 profit, which means you'd have to pay a capital gains tax on 40000 That's going to vary from state to state, and it's also going to vary depending upon your income levels. So current federal capital gains tax is going to be 15 or 20%, depending upon how high your income is. Plus, you have to add a state capital gains tax on top of that. So it might be you'd lose 20% of this 40000 to taxes if it were in a brokerage account. That doesn't sound very desirable, but as we know, those taxes always come due and the government finds some way to take their piece. <laughs> exactly. But it's not all bad because, as we'll talk in a minute, one of the advantages of the brokerage account is that money is totally liquid. And if your children don't decide not to go to college or they get a free ride, hello, you can use it for whatever you want. You can use it to pay for their weddings, give it to them for a down payment of a house, or what a lot of our clients would like to do is retire a year or two early. So there's a lot of advantages of putting it in that brokerage account. So one of the main benefits that I hear a lot of people tout about the 529 fund is that they love the fact that other family members can contribute to this fund, in essence, helping the child save for college in a very tax-efficient way. Is the same true for a brokerage account? Absolutely. In fact, I just set this up for my daughter and her kids. I set up a brokerage account. In fact, I had this discussion about, does she do a 529 plan or does she do a brokerage account? Does she do a combination? 
And I finally said, let's just set up a joint brokerage account. So it's joint between me and my daughter. I put money in there on a monthly basis for her, for her kids. She puts in money. Other relatives can put in money or other relatives can just give her a check and then she can put that into this account. Okay. So really no limit there on who can contribute. And that's true for the 529 as well? Yes, that's true. I've never seen that. You, I've never seen anybody other than grandparents and parents do it. Well, I guess I had one client who's doing it for nieces and nephews, but you know, it's basically relatives. But I don't see any reason why it could be a non-relative. I've just never seen it. Excellent. And then the next question I get, and I'm sure you're going to get to this, but it seems that everybody has a 529 fund, whether it's from the state or from a private financial account. How would you decide which fund you're going to choose? Well, keep in mind, I think it would be better to call it plan versus fund, because normally when people are using the word fund, they're thinking mutual funds. So mutual fund is a type of investment that is within the plan. So how I would define that is every state has a 529 plan. The investment options or the investment funds within those plans vary from state to state. Um, believe it or not, it's a little more complex on deciding which 529 plan you want than you would think. Uh, so every couple of years, we go through and we look at every single 529 plan. And we look at underlying investments. We look at the expenses that they charge, options, et cetera. And this, believe it or not, is going to vary once again from client to client. The reason is certain states, Connecticut is one, that you actually get some pretty substantial state income tax deductions by investing in the state 529 plan. The money that's earned in the 529 plan, is that still subject to capital gains tax similar to the brokerage accounts? Or can you clarify which taxes these plans are subject to when you go to retrieve the funds? Oh, great. Yes. So let me back up and let's talk a little bit about that. So the big advantage with the 529 plans is when you, if we have my same example, you put in 10,000, you pull out 50. Yes, you have this 40,000 gain, but in a 529 plan, assuming you're using it at a quote approved college for regular college costs, tuition, room board, et cetera, there's no tax on it. You don't have to pay the capital gains. That's tax. for state and federal capital gains tax? Yes, Exactly. So that is, it can be a pretty significant um, incentive for doing it. But I should tell you, there's a lot of downsides to 529 plans that a lot of people don't talk about. They're not silver bullet that we all hope they would be. So a couple of the downsides. First of all, when if your children are applying for financial aid, colleges look at 529 plans and go, gimme, gimme, gimme. All of that is going to go to the college where if you have other money in brokerage accounts or certain exemptions, not all of that would be subject to the calculations for how much to go into college. So that's one thing to realize. Yes, if you've got a 529 plan, it's all going to go to the college. Um, number two, the quality of the funds, the investment options, varies significantly from state to state, as do the internal fees and expenses. So I'm going to stop you there for a second, Catherine. You said the quality of the fund why are you using the word fund now versus plan? I'm using the fund to describe the investment options within the plan. Okay. No, no, that's good. I'm glad you stopped me because if you were thinking that question, others were thinking it too. So the investment options can, and the quality of those investment options can vary 
significantly from state to state. Some have very few options. Some have more. Um, some of them have some investment options that we would normally use. So as you know, uh, we use a lot of the dimensional funds, DFA funds, and they tend to be very low internal expenses. But when you have those exact same funds inside of 529 plans, the expense internal expenses are much higher. And the reason is that's how they used to either fund the 529 plans or it goes to that state. It's kind of an, um, an internal tax, so to speak, that a lot of people are not aware of. So to get back to your question on how do you decide, we have to look at a number of different factors. The first factor is, does your state have significant tax advantages? So for instance, Rhode Island, because that's where you live, they have minor tax advantages. The uh, I think one, I had an accountant did a calculation for me once, and it might save you $100 to use the Rhode Island plan. Big deal. I'd rather you use another state that had more I should say better internal funds and maybe lower internal costs. I should have mentioned that the thing with 529 plans is just because you're located in Massachusetts and using in the mass plan does not mean your children have to go to a Massachusetts school. You could actually use that 529 plan pretty much at any college in the United States. Um, you could also use it overseas at a, a few colleges overseas if they're on the approved list. And along with that, vocational schools, are those generally accepted educational outlets? Yes, vocational schools. So if you've got a child that wants to be a golf pro, they could use that for that or chef school. So when you want to assess the details of each plan, is that all public information that you could Google or what's the best way to access that detailed plan information? Well, frankly, I would put it off on your financial advisor because it will take a doctor hours to go through and look at all the plans. I don't know of anything online that kind of com compares them. All there may be something I've never looked at this, uh, but it could take a long time to look at them. Um, and most of our physicians aren't savvy enough to actually look at the internal funds, figure out how to rank them look at the internal fees. So once again, I would make your financial advisor do that work for you. A good plan. I like that a lot. <laughs> Simplify your life. So there's some, although there's some pros to 529 plans, as we say in every single podcast, there are negatives too. I wanted to talk about the negatives because um, the negatives are pretty substantial. This money is pretty much tied up in the 529 plan. The most recent tax laws will allow you to use 10,000 of it per year for like private high school. I don't never recommended clients do that. They could potentially do that. But the if the money for some reason is not used for college, the penalties are really severe. So this has actually happened to me twice. I've had two clients who when their children were done with college, they each had $300,000 left over and their 529 plans, 300,000. So in one case, I had doctor, second wife, between the two of them, they had seven kids. They've all been through college, 300,000 left over in 529 plans. They had a very generous grandfather, God bless him. And doctor, anesthesiologist wants to retire now. He doesn't have enough money to retire, let's be frank. And he really needs that money. Well, here's the rub. In order for him to take that money out of the 529 plans, there is a 10% tax penalty. And on the gains, 
he'd have to pay ordinary income tax, not capital gains, which is lower, but ordinary income tax. Long story short, when you add all that up, he would lose, and, uh, and he's also in Minnesota where taxes here are quite high for state taxes, he'd probably lose close to 50%. That's a very painful 50% check to write. Totally. So it's not worth 300000 It's really worth about one hundred and fifty. As I said, this has happened to me twice with two different cases. As a result, I tell clients, be very, very careful. You don't want to overfund these 529 plans because if we're back in 08 again, where the markets crash, a lot of people have lost jobs and they're in a bad situation. I had, did have clients not knowing any better thinking, well, I've got this 529 plan money. I'll take the money out. Ouch. The tax bill was hellacious. So it would be one of the last places you'd want to take money from because of the penalties. So you had mentioned that the funds are only applicable to educational expenses. But as I understand it, if you don't use the entire fund's value for child number one, then that can be passed on to child number two. Is that correct? Exactly. And in fact, it could be passed on to numerous children and even grandchildren. The problem with my anesthesiologist is out of those seven kids, none of them were married. None of them had kids. By the time they had kids, got married, whatever, it could be 30 years in the future. Doctor was going to be probably dead and he needed the money now. All right. So you can't gift them children that have not been born yet. Is that the take home? Exactly. Right. Because you have to put the child's name, social security number, et cetera, on the accounts. Although you're correct, you can move it from you know sibling to sibling or even to grandchildren. So one of the things I was looking at this recently was, are you better off putting the money in the 529 plans where you're likely to get a less robust return? Either the funds in some states are really mediocre or the internal expenses are high. There's a combination of it. So less robust returns, but you do get the tax advantages. Or are you better off with the liquidity and using a brokerage account where you've got a lot more freedom, but you've got the capital gains tax. So... Uh, On one of our upcoming podcasts, I'm going to have our listeners meet Josh Lance, my de facto partner, who's absolutely brilliant. And he ran a whole detailed analysis for this. And he looked at, does it make sense to do the 529 plans tax-wise versus the brokerage account? And I'm going to summarize it for you here. What we found is when we had high-earning doctors, we had our orthodontists, endodontists, orthopedic surgeons radiologists, et cetera, making five, six hundred thousand a year or a million dollars a year. And this is an important and I'm underlining it. They had babies, young, young kids, you know, like one or two years old. They had so much time in the 529 plans and their income was so high. They did get some nice tax savings. It wasn't fabulous, but it was nice, even with the more mediocre returns. However, if you aren't a high earning doc and your kids are older, like junior high school or whatever, it honestly, I didn't think that the tax savings were so minor. I didn't think it was worth the loss of of the liquidity. So to break it down to what we're normally recommending to clients today, some of them want to have the liquidity. So we put all the college savings into brokerage accounts. They, I tell them the pros and cons, so they're good with that. Others, we divide a half and half approach. If they're going to save a thousand a month towards college, we might put half into a brokerage account and half into a 529 plan. So you can divide things to make sense for each individual family. I guess going back to it, just because you're talking about it being a managed account, who's actually managing it? So if it's a state account, is it managed by the state or is there some sort of 
financial partner that's managing these accounts? So each of the states has um, ended up into relationships with various mutual fund companies. And these, once again, are going to vary from state to state. So who's managing it? It it could be. It could be the doctors managing it themselves. The doctor goes in, picks the mutual funds that they want to use. So in my case, I would say the doctor is managing it. Some doctors that are working with financial advisors, the financial advisors may be picking the funds. And in that case, the financial advisor is managing the funds. So it can be managed more personally and individually. But if you don't want that burden, then you can allow the fund manager to manage the funds and and take a risk with what kind of returns generated by their management strategy. Let me rephrase that. So a fund manager usually uh, refers to the manager of the entire mutual fund. So I would what I was saying is that an individual doctor could either do it themselves, which mean, in which case they'd be picking numerous mutual funds, each of which would have would have a fund manager, or they can have their financial advisor pick the funds. Each of those funds would have a fund manager, but it was actually the financial advisor that's managing which funds to choose. And how do you help clients decide how much to put into the fund? Oh, another great question. So we usually run a college funding analysis. And in general, I have clients by and large save for 50% of college, not 100%. And the reason is I've got very few doctors that can put their kids through private elementary, private high school, private college, and still have enough to retire on. There's some, but they're not, they're pretty rare. So we, we solve for what is 50% of college. Then the clients go, okay, Catherine, where's the other 50% coming from? Well, it could come from cash flow at the time of college. It could be from loans at the time of college. It could be daughter dearest could work like her parents did. You know, so there's other ways that we can kind of make up the make up the difference. So we first of all come up with a bogey on how much they need to save. I just did this yesterday for a six month old baby who's absolutely adorable. They're in Seattle. And here's the shocking thing. They live in Washington and baby Stella, if they wanted to pay for half of going to the University of Washington, it was about 500 a month for them to save between now when she's six months old and when she's 18. And that's assuming today's tuition prices, or do you do some projections for what tuition will be when baby Stella reaches the ripe old age of 18? Yes. Believe it or not, we have to take inflation into consideration because college inflation costs are so much higher than our normal inflation rate. The most recent numbers I saw a couple of years ago were like over seven and a half percent per year. We don't use that for our cases because our clients would just flip, but we do use like a 6.2 percent rate of return. Well, I have to say as a parent with young children, the cost of the college tuition is absolutely shocking to me. And when I follow the trends, it just seems that there's no end in sight. I hope there's going to be some checks and balances on our secondary educational system to help bring this back into reality. I'm with you 100% because part of what I think about college is We have to think of this as an investment. They're going to be spending sometimes hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to send a daughter to a particular school. What is she getting out of that? 
I mean, she can gaze at her navel by, you know, going to an ashram for a couple of weeks. If she's just trying to find herself, I would not be sending her to college. What we want is for her to get a great education that she can use to support herself. Exactly. And that question is, is it worth that? And I think about my own children. Each of them, I should say, I had our two sons, both were National Merit Scholars, and they both were offered free rides to some amazing schools. In retrospect, that's what we should have done. No, no, no. My husband goes, no, they got into Brown. We need to send them. And they got in the University of Chicago. We should send them there. And I'm like, no, no. So we sent them there. Crazy, crazy expensive. And now it's years later. And I look at where my children are. Christy, they're in the exact same jobs, the exact same place in life that they would have been if they had gone to that school where they got the free ride. And interestingly enough, if you had the 529 fund and they went to the college where they got the free ride, that money would have been perhaps lost. Exactly, because the college would have sucked it up anyway. You're absolutely right about that. So many unknowns to try to plan for, Catherine. Oh, my goodness. Well, which is once again why I kind of lean towards the brokerage accounts, which gives you more flexibility. Yes, you do have to pay more in taxes, but you've got more flexibility, better options, better management, cheaper internal fees on the funds. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Catherine. That was many eye-opening details to the 529 funds. Admittedly, there is a lot to learn and a lot to think about. So we appreciate you giving us some insight there. Listeners, once again, thank you so much for tuning in. We greatly appreciate you sharing your time with us today and look forward to seeing you next month. Take care. Grab that cash with both hands, then make a stash.